everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel, SlayRx, and ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. You will recall that a few weeks ago after a hot run, Patrick and I talked about how to get along in the hot weather, right? Um, and then on a solo podcast a couple of weeks ago, I talked a little bit about heat acclimation and heat acclimatization. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. So kind of building off of that, we decided to take a deeper dive into one aspect of getting along in the heat today, and that's hydration. Right on, right on. Hydration. Or specific to running in Atlanta, dehydration. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now, Interestingly enough, uh, I had a conversation with a listener um, after the the heat acclimation and heat acclimatization piece came out, and after I listened to it myself, I realized that I kind of pivoted a little bit in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that in the the first one that we had, um, the the initial one about heat, it was about okay, you have to train in hot weather. What are some tips about how to get along in hot weather? Mm-hmm. And then I sort of built the heat acclimation and heat acclimatization one off of that, but I didn't realize until after I had recorded it and listened to it and had conversations with listeners about it that I sort of pivoted a little bit to not how to get acclimated to train in the hot weather, but rather what you can do in order to make yourself more accustomed to heat so that you can still perform in a hot weather race. Mm-hmm. I recognize that I did that. I apologize if I threw a few of you off after that. I didn't recognize it until afterwards, like I said, but um, hopefully the information there was still uh, worthwhile for you. Today, with that in mind, we're actually going to try and be a little bit more useful for you, both in your racing and in your training as well with dehydration. Now, at the outset, there's a couple of things we want to say. First thing is this. Remember that hydration is only one of the things that will slow you down and affect your performance when it's hot outside. You have the fact that more blood and resources is being diverted to your skin in order to cool your skin. You have the fact that your core temperature is much higher and that's going to slow down and make all your body's processes more inefficient. Dehydration, as Patrick and I have said before, kind of sucks up all the air in the room when we're talking about training in hot weather. And a lot of people, when they slow down the heat, they're like, oh, it's because I'm dehydrated. Well, no, it could be because you're dehydrated, certainly, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But it also might just be because your body's running more inefficiently because it's either diverting resources to your skin or because your core temperature is so high, right? Absolutely. And and one kind of story that can you know help kind of crystallize you know that that heat exhaustion and dehydration are two separate issues uh was actually shared in alex hutchinson's book endure where he talked about a a football player who um, i think believe is a high school football player who died during a practice Mm -hmm. and so then um the coach was accused of of malpractice for for not letting them take water breaks it's like hey this kid died here well they looked at him at the, the kid's body and they found he actually wasn't even dehydrated when he passed away um, he just died from, from heat exhaustion and was essentially fully hydrated. And the coach said, no, we even documented. We gave them plenty of water breaks. We, you know, here, here are all the chances they had to have water breaks. Now, that's a bit of a morbid example and an extreme example. But it does show that, you know, they're not as extricate, uh, they're not as in, implicitly or ex- explicitly linked as we originally thought. Or at yeah. least as how I originally approached hydration as like a high school runner, for example, where I just thought, okay, I was hot during yesterday's run, so today I need to just drink more water, right. you know, 
they're kind of two you know linked issues or two linked um processes but they're not the same thing it's not like drinking you know coolant for your you know your engine in your car for example right um, that directly cools off your engine. Yeah, if, if 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 your engine overheating, it won't necessarily help to dump a whole bunch more coolant in it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. which we've talked about before on this class or on this podcast. <laughs> I'm back to school. I'm talking about class now. Um, but yeah, and you know, and, and that's an important example too to kind of keep in mind. There was a, recently a death here in in the state of Georgia um, of a high school basketball player um, who uh, in Clayton County, which is on the south side of Atlanta, um, a 16 year old girl was was um, her coach was sending her out to actually do hill sprints and, and that sort of thing up and down, up and down hills. Um, and, and she became overwhelmed and, and, and she, she became unresponsive in practice and ultimately died, which is tragic. Um, now is the coach still potentially negligent? Yes. Um, but does it necessarily mean that she died of dehydration? No. Um, the, 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 the things that, that, that caused the death of that child in, in Clayton County and the one that caused the death of, of the child in Texas uh, that was mentioned in, in the book that, that Patrick was just sharing, yeah, it's certainly heat-related. It obviously is heat-related, and so that might translate into some negligence on the part of the coach, but it wasn't necessarily dehydration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of important to keep in mind. Um, I was telling Patrick that I'm currently coaching an athlete who, who lives in South Carolina um, and is forced to do a lot of the training that he does in some of the hottest times of the day. Um, and I had a conversation with him recently about hydration and dealing with the heat because whenever he would get really, really hot during a bike ride, he would start just guzzling water. Um, and it's in part because it felt good, and we're going to talk about you know the the psychological benefits of drinking water in, in, in a little while here. Um, but it was in part, in larger part, because he thought that's kind of what he needed to do. That that he was slowing down, he was getting overheated, and so he thought, oh, I need to drink a whole lot more water. Um, and he fairly recently had a, a, an experience on the bike where he threw up all over the place in the middle of traffic um, because he had had so much to drink. Um, the water that he was drinking, he might have been better off actually dumping it on his body to cool his skin rather than actually drinking it. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, the point being here at the outset that we wanted to make sure that everybody's still aware that, that when you're dealing with the heat, hydration gets a lot of attention, but it's only one aspect of the overall picture. All right. So with that disclaimer now having been made, let's talk a little bit more about hydration itself. So let's talk about some of the things that staying hydrated actually does for you. Uh, Staying hydrated actually lowers your blood viscosity so it's easier to pump through your body. Um, It keeps you cooler by allowing your body's cooling mechanisms to trigger earlier. It prevents dry mouth, which might actually be linked to cavities. Um, Hmm. It keeps your skin supple and soft. It helps your muscles and joints work better by lubricating them um, and making it easy to get nutrients to them and waste out of them. Um, It promotes kidney function, and it may even promote brain function. There was a study in Great Britain that showed that students who brought water into an exam actually did better than students who didn't bring one with them. Um, Not sure if they actually drank the water, though. Um, Kind of a flaw in the study, so we're not totally sure. Um, My son's... Uh, during their first week of kindergarten a couple weeks ago um, were coming home completely wiped out and we actually think it might have had to do with their hydration status mm-hmm. um, that, and we give them water bottles but we're not sure that they were drinking them throughout the course of the day and refilling them throughout the course of the day because it's just so hot you know, in the first couple of weeks of school in Georgia because school starts on August 1st right, right? Um, and so, so I'll say I was a summer camp counselor for a few years mm-hmm. and that was like the biggest 
like pain point for me was getting kids to drink water. Oh yeah, like it was insane. It was like guys, we're when we were literally in the desert of yeah. like in Southwest America, like playing outside all day. It's like you guys have got to drink water. Yeah, yeah. And, and and folks don't want to. And we'll talk more about right. kids here in just a second. Um, so dehydration, interestingly and ironically and fittingly enough, um, actually slows the absorption rate of fluids. Mm-hmm. So the more you get dehydrated, the harder it is to rehydrate. Actually, um, and then. Uh, a study in Michigan a couple years ago showed that people who were inadequately hydrated actually had increased odds of being obese. Um, and so, you know, yet another reason to stay hydrated. Now, um, in addition, let's talk about like kind of hydration. And I should mention as well, we talked about this a year or so ago. Um, we had an episode on hydration and we're going to mention some of the same studies here at the outset, um, even though we have a little bit more to add here. But there was a 2015 study from uh, the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the American Journal of Public Health um, that found that more than half of all children and adolescents in the United States are not getting enough hydration, um, a situation that could have significant repercussions for their physical health and their cognitive and emotional functioning. Um, in the study, uh, that 2015 study, they surveyed 4,000 children and adolescents aged 6 to 19, um, and they found that adolescents were of a higher risk of inadequate uh, hydration. Um, They also found specifically boys were at a higher risk of dehydration than girls were. Uh, Boys were 76% more likely than girls to be dehydrated, Um, and they found that non-Hispanic black kids were at 34% more likely uh, to be dehydrated than non-Hispanic white kids. Um, so if you're African-American and a boy, you're more likely to be dehydrated than if you're a white girl. Um, and then the fa- last one I'll mention here is a study that was at UConn in 2011 and 2012. They took 25 me- women and 25 men, um, and they mildly dehydrated them. They took a bunch of healthy, active individuals. They said they're neither high-performance athletes nor sedentary. They typically exercise for about 30 to 60 percent uh, minutes a day. They induced dehydration by having them walk on treadmill for about 40 minutes, and then they gave the subjects a whole bunch of cognitive tests measuring their vigilance, concentration, reaction time, learning, memory, and reasoning. Uh, And then the results were compared against a separate series of tests when the individuals were uh, not dehydrated at all, when they had not done 40 minutes. Um, They actually published the two studies separately. They published published the women's and the men's separately. Mm -hmm. Um, They published about the women in the Journal of Nutrition, and they found that mild dehydration caused headaches, fatigue, and difficulty concentrating. Um, The women in the study also perceived tasks as being more difficult when they were slightly dehydrated, although there was no sub reduction in their actual cognitive abilities. Uh, Men, they published about in the British Journal of Nutrition, and they found that mild dehydration caused some difficulties with mental tasks, particularly in the areas of vigilance and working memory. In other words, they had a hard time keeping thoughts in their head. Uh, The men also experienced fatigue, tension, and anxiety when mildly dehydrated. Um, They said that adverse changes in mood and symptoms were substantially greater in females than in males, both at rest and during exercise. And then at the end, uh, they concluded, the lead researcher, a guy named Harris Lieberman, concluded, even mild dehydration that can occur over the course of our ordinary daily activities can degrade how we are feeling, especially for women who appear to be more susceptible to the adverse effects of low level of dehydration than men. In both sexes, these adverse mood changes may limit the motivation required to engage in even moderate aerobic exercise. Mild dehydration may also interfere with other daily activities, even when there is no physical demand component present. And so actually, his conclusion was that, that 
being dehydrated actually decreases your motivation to go out and train. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, a lot of research there that I just threw at you just to say, hey, there's huge benefits, uh, psychological, physiological benefits uh, to making sure that you remain hydrated throughout the course of your day. What do you got to add there, Patrick? So I, what I find most interesting is how it seems like dehydration almost affected your, your psychology or your motivation mm-hmm. more so than uh, than their actual like physiological limitations placed upon you oh, sure. by dehydration. I have a few kind of supporting, you know, pieces here that, that kind of add to that argument. So first, you know, you know, when looking at, at dehydration, it's important to consider or keep in mind that your body is most concerned with the concentration of fluid in your blood. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about my name's Patrick, I weigh this much, and so I have this many milliliters of water in my system. It's more about like your, your blood concentration than anything else and keeping it, having enough water and having enough fluids and electrolytes um, to kind of keep it in, in that nice equilibrium. And as you sweat, you, you obviously lose both fluid and electrolytes, such as sodium, but your body also adjusts to kind of keep that relative balance of water and electrolytes in your blood plasma as you start to go down, right? So it's not like you're at 100% per, you know, perfect, you run for five minutes now you're down to 90 percent or something like that right so that's one thing to think about is your body can adjust it's an it's a range so to speak Mm -hmm. um another thing that's interesting is there was a study done um in new zealand where they looked at um um, dehydration what they did is they they uh had their athletes perform and then throughout the the performance they would have them swallow small mouthfuls of water Mm -hmm. during the exercise Mm -hmm. and then they would actually suck it out of them (laughs) <laughs> so like it never actually like reached their bloodstream. Okay. And they found that actually increased performance over never having the water to begin with. Interesting. So there was almost like some some psychological benefits there, which is pretty interesting. And it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about how the hydration piece it affected your motivation and your your psychology as much as anything else. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I think I think that 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 all the all the physiological things that we describe, generally speaking, they kind of make you feel like garbage, which is going to have a psychological impact on you. Right. You know, and and I think that that I I, I was listening to a podcast recently where the the podcaster said something to the effect of um, the per- perceived difference between mind and body is is a really antiquated notion. Yep. Um, and 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 that's something that you and I have talked a lot a lot on this podcast. It's something that we talked about obviously with Alex Hutchinson in our interview a few weeks ago. Um, but but yeah, this idea that that you, well you have your brain, you have your body, and they're really separate from one another. Uh, no, they're they're really heavily reliant upon one another. And mm-hmm. if anything, that they they operate as one mm-hmm. um, for sure. And so things that you can do not only to physically hydrate you, but also to make you think that you are hydrated <laughs> those those are going to make a pretty big difference right yeah yeah um so I, I realize here as we're talking about about hydration and stuff that we didn't actually give a shout out to our our hydration sponsor slay rx here at the outset as well and we probably should have done that <laughs> yeah. yeah i think that i didn't because i just presumed oh well throughout the course of the the podcast we're gonna be talking so much about hydration that of course we're gonna be talking about slay rx um uh but yeah no shout out to the folks at slay rx because because certainly by all means if you want to drill down exactly how much you're sweating and and what the content of your sweat is um the good folks over at slay rx can certainly help you out with that so um um, well let's talk a little bit then about i guess given that that this is 
the situation with with hydration. Given that hydration is, can can really profoundly affect you physiologically and psychologically, um, and given the fact that we want to make sure that we're giving you information you can use here when it comes to hydration, let's talk a little bit about sort of before, during, and after. Does mm-hmm. sound good? Yep. All right. So so for before, let's uh, let's consider the the. Uh, guidelines that came out from the American College of Sports Medicine. Um, they, they put them out back in 2007, and they haven't changed materially since then. Um, they've changed slightly since then, but not a whole lot. Um, but it's their guidelines on, on exercise and fluid replacement. Um, and they said at that point, at least four hours before your exercise, athletes should consume approximately five to seven milliliters of fluid per kilogram of body weight. Um, and so... Again, that's that's not a profound amount of, of water, but you know I weigh about seventy kilograms. Five to seven milliliters of fluid—that's about three and a half to four liters of fluid. Am I doing the math right there? Um, so right. so so yeah. So five to seven milliliters. Five times you know, five seven. I'm I'm totally gonna edit this where it sounds right, but let me do the math in my head real quick. Five milliliters. I weigh seventy kilograms. That's it's 350 milliliters, so it's only a third of a liter, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. 350 is about a third of a milliliter. Yeah. yeah. All right. Or a third of a liter. Yeah. 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 And so it's a third, a third to a half a liter. Yeah. And so you're not talking about a ton of water. Mm-mm. Right. All right. So yeah. All right. So so we're not talking about a, a ton of water here. So for myself, um, for example, I weigh about 70 kilograms. Um, and so if I were to take in five milliliters to seven milliliters of fluid per kilogram of body weight, we're talking about 350 to about 490 milliliters of, of fluids. Uh, and that's only like a third to a half of a liter. That's not, not a, really a whole lot. Um, and if, you, if I sit and I drink slowly over the course of, of several minutes, I'll, I'll be absolutely fine there. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Is that, is that a doable amount for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's much, that's infinitely more doable than what, you know, for example, the eight classes a day or 64 ounces a day makes you think you would need when you extrapolate out to, well, if I need 64 ounces to sit in a chair and work in an office all day, what will I need to to run all these miles, for example? Right, right. In addition, we should say, and we're going to talk a little bit more about after in just a little while, it takes about six to eight hours to for, for, for your body to become fully rehydrated again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's kind of something important to keep in mind. And as we talked about when we were talking about heat acclimation, heat acclimatization, um, that, that a lot of the fluids that you eat during the course of, of becoming hydrated, um, or a lot of the fluids that you get over the course of becoming hydrated, you get via food right um and apples so, oranges etc yeah yeah so i i know that one of patrick's big tricks that he's always talked about when it comes to, to hydration is is eating more fruit during the mm-hmm. course of summer you know have a bunch of grapes yeah mm-hmm. by all means um you know if it's and and you mentioned the being a camp counselor a few minutes ago um having a hard time getting kids to drink water mm-hmm. yeah sure fair understandable it's probably be easier to get kids to eat grapes yeah you know? well what i did is this is a trick that's probably not too relevant to many people but i would usually just mix it with like four drops of juice so then it would look like red or purple yeah. or whatever their yeah. their juice color was and now it's how i would trick them in oh there. yeah 
Yeah. And I told him it was a special formula created by the president to make him <laughs> run faster. <laughs> right on. And oh, the pre- yeah, as or, if the president, like, as if the president sitting in a lab, you know, formulating <laughs> hydration drinks. But yeah, no difference. Um, or like one week I said it was the president. One week I said it was I don't know Albert Einstein. They didn't even know he was dead because he was like six years old. So <laughs> impressive. Do what Einstein you got to do, was. man. It's pretty good. It's made for astronauts. Exactly. Uh, yeah, right on. Very good. But you know, and and so so that actually alludes to something else is that that um, um, a lot of people. Um, tend to want to hydrate with things that have sodium in them mm-hmm. not only because that that will um give you more electrolytes obviously um but in addition a saltier drink will encourage you to drink more yeah. um and so so your your four drops of juice i actually kind of do that myself sometimes with like lemonade um i'll, I'll fill up a glass with eight ounces of, of water and one ounce of lemonade and just having just a touch of taste in there makes me want to drink it more yeah and and i'm not sure why that entirely is it's like the inverse of when you have an alcoholic beverage that is too sugary and probably a little too tasty mm-hmm. <laughs> to where yeah, you get yeah. yourself in trouble mm-hmm. um to where you say all right well if i just give myself a little sugar then I, i'll end up you know drinking a whole bunch of this as opposed to just straight water without any any ice or anything right on right on all right so let's talk about during um mm-hmm. and and i know that you have a couple of things you want to mention about this as well um Fluid replacement strategies, they're really, really highly individualized, we should say that. And so this is maybe the part where I thought I was going to talk more about Slayer X, but <laughs> and, and because Slayer X can actually test you, as you and I are going to do next month, and, and, and determine exactly how much you're losing and, and, and what, how much electrolytes you need to replace. But um, generally speaking, athletes should aim for about 3 to 8 ounces, which is about 90 to 240 milliliters um, of about a six to eight percent carbohydrate electrolyte drink between about every ten to twenty minutes during exercise lasting longer than sixty or ninety minutes. Yep. Um, and that sixty to ninety minutes, sixty minutes if, if it's a really hot time, ninety minutes if it's you know more temperate environment, something like that, right? So again, that's about three to eight ounces uh, every ten to twenty minutes if it's going to be lasting you longer than sixty minutes in the heat or ninety minutes in more temperate environments, right? Um, and that's the amount, by the way, three to eight ounces. That's the amount, not because that's how much you're losing. You might be losing more than that, um, and and your goal is not necessarily to put back everything that you're losing because that's going to not be entirely possible if it's really really hot. Um, the goal is to put back as much as you can, but also to absorb what it is that you're putting back. Yeah. If you're taking more than eight ounces every ten to twenty minutes your body's not really going to be able to take it all up. Um, and, and if you're taking in a whole, whole, whole lot of liquid, you're ultimately going to force your body to decide whether it wants to try and digest this liquid or if it wants to keep on moving you down the road. Um, and the upshot of that is either it's going to force you to slow down a whole lot or it's going to make you puke. Um, yeah. And that's obviously not something. You don't want either one of those things. Yeah. What do you have to add about this? Uh, nothing too much other than to say... You know, there actually was a study that tried to look at drink frequency, you know, among runners. So it was a smaller study, um, and they looked at drink frequency of runners, of 12 different runners doing 100-minute runs at 70% VO2 max, just to give you kind of an idea. of So uh, a little slower than marathon pace. But but a they, lengthy run. But a lengthy run, yeah. 100 minutes, that's that's some, some significant time. Um, you know, that's, you know, what, close to your marathon time, so to speak, right? Yeah. 
Um, so during one of the runs, they had them drinking 200 milliliters of drink every 20 minutes. The other one, 50 milliliters every five minutes. So you can do the basic math. They're drinking the same amount over the course of an hour. Some they drink every five minutes. Some they drink every, every uh, 20 minutes. They found very little difference in terms of performance and, and you know the ability to rehydrate. And so the, their basic study was there was a slight, slight import, you know, improvement in terms of how much, how much carbs you were able to um, actually absorb in your body. You know, with the drinking every 20 minutes, you're able to absorb a bit more carbs as opposed to every five minutes because your body, body probably just doesn't feel as quite as consistently flooded over the 20 minutes and it can kind of take its time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, what they studied, said was, you know what, it was such a small difference the biggest factor really to consider is what works for you. It may be best, you know, to pay a slight penalty in oxidation rate if the more frequent approach enables you to drink a lot more overall. However, you know, if if we're looking at kind of similar, you know, consumption of water or similar consumption of, of Gatorade or fluid over, you know, a long period of time, it's probably best to do, you know, as you mentioned, you know, a bit more longer period of time. What you, works for you? Yeah, because it's based on what works for you and what your body can handle. Yeah, and I, I think that's in, that's important too because it, it it's it's sort of like scientific evidence of of the importance of the individualization, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That that whether you're you're doing one or the other, whether you're taking big swigs out of a bottle or a little small sips out of a bottle, ultimately over time, it's not necessarily going to hurt your performance. And so you should do the one that works actually better for you. Um, I, I cited a study when we talked about hydration a year ago in which they said that, that for some people, the people in the study that, that, um, that we were discussing, um, their, their body emptied fluid more rapidly when they drank more. Mm-hmm. And they thought that it was literally because of gravity. The downward pressure of, of a greater amount of fluid a greater weight of fluid pushed it out of their system more rapidly. And they said there was a point of diminishing returns um, because, I mean, ultimately, if you drink like a gallon of water, I mean, that's going to be too much, yeah. right? Um, but they said that, that actually drinking it could could push it into your system, literally physically, mechanically push it into your system more quickly, um, which I mentioned because I think that would be easier to pull off on the bike than it would be on the run. Interesting, and so because because on a bike you're not bouncing around, right? Yeah, and so so maybe you might find that you're better off taking big swigs out of your bottle when you're on the bike and you're not bouncing around, and then when you're running you need to have smaller sips, something like that, right? Yeah, I will tell you when I first read this study, I I knew I was on team five minute interval from day one. <laughs> like I, I like I was kind of rooting for that to be the result, the finding that. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be in the conclusion, Patrick, you are incorrect. Every five <laughs> minutes is the way to go. And you've probably heard me say, I think I've heard, I've said on this podcast, like for the Boston Marathon or any big marathon, I take a swig of water and Gatorade every single mile, like mm-hmm. literally every opportunity I can. And I do that for two reasons. One, I'm going to spill some of it. Right. Like that's going to happen. So right. if I just wait every five miles, I don't want to then blow it and then <laughs> really start to kind of get behind the eight ball. And the second thing is for me, it is infinitely easier to take a quick swig of four to six ounces of water. I almost don't even feel it, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to drink a lot of it at once. That, mm-hmm. to me, then is where you start to feel the slushing around and the mm-hmm. heaviness, and then you feel like you're trying to, you know, overload your system that or give your your stomach too much to process at once. Yeah, yeah. See, and I I feel like I feel differently about it in training as I do in racing. 
Yeah. Because in racing, I do what you do. When I'm racing a marathon, I tend to take water at every opportunity because I'm so bad at running while drinking out of a cup that I know that I'm getting so little water with every single one that I need to be more frequent. But yeah. when I'm training, you know, we run for a while and then we get to a water fountain and we drink at the water fountain and then we run for a while and then we get to a water fountain, you know? I have, right. You're I recent- stopping and drinking. You're not yeah. waterboarding yourself <laughs> while running. But but but, it's, but, it, but it means something different for the amount of water that I'm actually taking in, right? As opposed to taking out, you know, a couple of ounces of water haphazardly thrown into my mouth every six to seven minutes. You know, it's every 20 minutes I'm, I'm, you know, actually drinking a decent, you know, a glass of water worth. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, yeah, I actually recently brought, bought a handheld bottle, you know, thinking Mm -hmm. about my next race and how I'm probably gonna need to carry water with me. I recently bought a handheld bottle and I've run with it one time and I can't bring myself to run with it even though I need to and to train with it because, I don't want to carry. I'm just so old school about that. I just don't want to carry stuff while I'm running. Yeah. You know, which, and actually this also alludes to the other point that we wanted to make, um, about, about during, and that's that, that you need to train with what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, and, and so we've talked before on this podcast about how you can train your gut, you can train your system in the same way that you train anything else in your body. Um, and so if you know that you're going to be going into a race where you need to be taking gels or electrolytes or drinks or even a particular sort of drink because your plan is to, to drink whatever's on the course and they have you know, a certain brand on course who's sponsoring the marathon or the triathlon or whatever it is you're doing, um, you can train your body to, to, to take up and to, to manage whatever it is that's going to be on course or whatever it is you're going to be using during the race. Um, and so study after study have shown that, yes, indeed, you can train your gut. And so you should. Mm-hmm. You should. Um, other thoughts about the kind of the during there? I know that during is there – was, there's was a lot more things that we had talked about spinning out from during there. Yeah, and it, it, it kind of gets back to one of our, our original points where we talk about kind of the, the mind-body connection. Right on. Um, I'm glad you remember I am to trying to pull up the study now, but I keep pulling up the wrong tab here, so <laughs> my apologies. Um, all right, here we go. So there was a study done um, – well, they wanted to look at. So first of all, let's let's take a, a bit of a step back and say, a lot of the research on hydration is pretty interesting because, you know, way back when when they first started looking at, at connections between hydration and endurance performance, they first noted, hey, the the runners that finish the race the fastest are the ones that lose the most body weight. Mm-hmm. So at first, they started to interpret that as, you know, you should almost not drink at all during the run, not have any water during the run. That has been debunked to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that to say is we've come a long way, and it, a lot of times we're using the same data points and having different interpretations about what the studies mean in terms of hydration. So that's kind of something to mm-hmm. think about when looking at a lot of these different studies that we, they were going to be mentioning because we're trying to hone in more and more on, like, what is it about hydration that's so important mm-hmm. and what about it makes it so pertinent like for example i mentioned them you know vacuuming the water out of the right. the athletes like yeah. that is something that's what i thought you were about to talk about yeah, um sure. that's, that's very you know kind of interesting and kind of counterintuitive mm-hmm. um but no the one i was going to mention is they had two sets of athletes perform a cycling test and they hooked them both up to ivs and one of them was provided with the actual, like, you know, replenishing fluid of an IV, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the workout. And the other was given a placebo. Mm-hmm. And they found that both groups actually performed as if they had no IV and no water at all. Mm-hmm. Like, they performed as if they were just completely dehydrated throughout the cycling and throughout the performance. Mm-hmm. 
And that seems to hint that there is an actual psychological benefit to the actual sipping of water. Yeah. Right? I mean, think about how many times you've actually had a glass of water and actually had like a physical sigh of relief. Yeah. Like, oh, that felt good. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, any Coke commercial, for example, would have that. And I just found that very interesting because I always just figured water was almost like gasoline in a car where it was just right. more mechanical. Right. But this study seems to suggest that water and hydration and kind of that, that cooling effect and that cooling sensation is as much psychological mm-hmm. as much as anything else. And now, right. and that also gets into your point about the, the, the mind-body connection to where, you know, it's not something you can just separate and say, oh, well, we need this for physiological purposes or all oh, this is all mental. So if you could somehow mm-hmm. get past the mental block it's not an issue yeah but it was just kind of an interesting you know look in terms of starting to decide what exactly is so important about hydration and one of the things the author said is it's not just dehydration that causes you to run slower for example it's the distraction of feeling dehydrated the Mm -hmm. entire time the distraction of feeling like i want water and that being your top priority or top of mind throughout the performance right on and so so the takeaway there and i think that one's super interesting by the way i think the takeaway there is that that when you're thinking about again how you're going to hydrate yourself throughout the course of a run or a race um Mm -hmm. uh, how you're going to hydrate yourself during a ride or a race during a during a triathlon or or during a training session um when when you're thinking about that don't just think about what is going to make you hydrated you should think about what's going to make you feel hydrated. Yeah, and 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 that's super important. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that that's that's one thing that we talked just so much with 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 Alice Hutchinson about, and and one thing that the book Endure is all about that 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 if you can make your brain think you're hydrated, you can actually get along in a fairly unhydrated mm-hmm. state. Yeah, there was a, a there the stu- there's a study in 2005 um, that's sort of like the the real pivotal study. Um, on dehydration athletes that showed that at 2% of dehydration is where performance begins to degrade. And then there was another study that was done just a few years later in like, I think it was 2008, um, that was on Ironman athletes that showed them crossing the finish line more than 3% dehydrated with no degradation in their performance. Um, and, and what the second study concluded was that the, the people that were doing this Ironman had had trained themselves to to basically be okay psychologically with a little bit of dehydration yeah so the two percent uh rule you you pointed out and we talked about this before we actually started recording um it was performed by the u.s army in world war ii that's where we originally got that number from was because they were doing studies you know during the world war ii era to find out okay how far can we push cadets so to speak or, or push our soldiers in like a desert environment for example before they they start to die so to perform the study, they took these people who volunteered for the army and were just like, all right, you, go to this sauna. All right, now run on this treadmill. <laughs> they, they didn't sign up for that. Um, or at least, you know, so they, there was no motivation. There was no kind of mental training or psychological training for that. And that's where we got that 2% rule, which, you know, it, it was certainly helpful from kind of a, a military perspective when you are just kind of throwing people into a situation, you know, when – they maybe haven't trained for it specifically, but in terms of an Ironman where, or, or a marathon where we've trained ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. physiologically and psychologically, and we are and you're gunning for an A yeah. performance, and we are motivated, and we know a finish line is near, mm-hmm. that is a very different, you know, set of circumstances yeah. than you know just finding yourself in battle or finding yourself in this situation. Right, right. Or being in a lab 
Right. Because <laughs> some dude told you that this is what you have to do today. <laughs> right. You know. I just wanted the free pizza. I didn't know I was going to have to go through this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where's my Target gift card? Yeah. Um, yeah. The the yeah, I'm reminded, and and I think that's it's worth mentioning it here. I'm reminded of the conversation we were having with Alex Hutchinson again about about the difference between real limits and perceived limits. Mm-hmm. And you'll remember he talked about, okay, yeah, there are such a thing as real limits. And so don't get me wrong and don't get us wrong. I'm not trying to say that, that oh, no, dehydration's all in your head. No, there's a real thing such as dehydration, and, and it can lead to all that long list of, of issues that I described at the outset of the podcast, right? Um, but that being said... Uh, there's a psychological element to it as well, and mm-hmm. so so yeah, two percent is it three percent? Is it even a little bit more than three percent? Well, well, I mean that's it's it depends on the psychology of the athlete and and what their motivation is and all that other thing. All right, let's talk about afterwards. All right, so uh, I found an interesting study, and this is also from 2006 in the International Journal of Sports Nutrition, Exercise, and Metabolism. Um, about uh, protein added to sports drinks improving fluid retention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously, you know, when, you, when you're uh, following a, a training session or following a race, you want to try and rehydrate as best you can. And you want to try and uh, rehydrate with things that are, are, in fact, going to rehydrate you. And so keep that in mind with your, your, your celebratory beer. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there was a study where they examined fluid retention after dehydration um, that I just mentioned here. Um, and they had a 2.5% body weight loss in this one. So 2.5%, roughly 2% dehydration right um, and they gave 13 subjects beverages containing carbohydrate plus protein carbohydrate only or water at a volume equal to the body weight loss over the course of a three-hour recovery period um, and what they found was that fluid retention was significantly higher for the carbohydrate protein group than it was for the carbohydrate group and then both the carbohydrate protein group and the carbohydrate only group were better than just plain water for rehydration mm-hmm. um, as a result the authors concluded that fluid retention after consumption of a carbohydrate protein beverage was 15% greater than after consumption of a carbohydrate only beverage and 40% greater than after consumption of just water um, so kind of fascinating there, I thought, and kind of a surprise um, yeah. that, that, that your body will rehydrate better with something that has protein in it. I was, I was reminded of the study that I talked about a year ago that said that skim milk and milk is actually really, really heavily hydrating. Yeah. Um, that, and that, that milk is actually more hydrating than water is. Um, and, and the belief in that study was that your body knows intuitively that there's something good about milk, and so it hangs on to it more. Um, but this seems to suggest that it's not necessarily your body knowing something intuitively about milk, but maybe it's because of the, the carbohydrate protein content of the milk as opposed to just plain water. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, here's maybe not, maybe not a counterpoint, but maybe like a, you know, an additional point. If you told me, all right, you get to have water and milk at the end of a run, mm-hmm. I would choose water. Mm-hmm. Not because I necessarily don't like the milk, but because I don't, I couldn't imagine having more than like eight to 12 ounces of milk after even a hot day. <laughs> and I'm being yeah. serious. Yeah. And so is that why we crave water immediately after a run, for example? Because we can chug like two full glasses of water quickly mm-hmm. and get that into our system quickly. But then in terms of comparing eight ounces of water versus eight ounces of milk, the eight ounces of milk is going to be the better choice. I don't know. This yeah. is just something I'm thinking about yeah. Yeah. As, you, as you described that study. Yeah. And mind you, it's it's over a three-hour recovery period. That's true, right? too. And so, 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 so we're that, not talking about immediately after. Yeah, and so, so, so that probably helped, too. And so when you're thinking about, like, literally you and I finish 
that hot ass two hour run, right? And it's like, oh my God, I feel like I just stepped out of a shower and your hair is all matted down and, and your nipples are chafed and everything else like that. I, I don't really want a glass of milk at that point, like right then. But two hours later, after I've had a shower and, and, and a few other things, then, then yeah, it might be lovely. Yeah, or I would say even 20 <laughs> or 30 minutes later. Yeah. It doesn't take that long, but the, yeah. the you, you just initially reach for the water. So yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. And to your point, too, we associate like rehydration and, and post-run hydration with the sensation, the first sensation of that first sip yeah. right after running. Yeah. But maybe th- what this study is also suggesting is think about you know, hours one through four after the run. Absolutely. Or after the workout. Absolutely. Because as we said before, it takes about six hours to entirely rehydrate. So And, and that's particularly important when thinking about like an Ironman or marathon where mm-hmm. most of us probably go to sleep after about an hour. Yeah, so no when kidding. you're sleeping, you're not rehydrating. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly an Ironman. Particularly if you're a nighttime finisher of an Ironman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you weren't taking caffeinated gels, which you, you may or may not have been doing, you're probably going to be asleep within two or three hours after you, after you finish your race. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very good. Very good. Before, during, after. Hopefully we left you with a little bit more of actual things to apply here when it comes to hydration. Patrick, anything further to add? Nothing really to add other than to say, to to kind of reiterate a point, and that's that we've talked about how dehydration may slow you down, but so too can rehydration, Mm -hmm. right? If you just kind of pound water or pound Gatorade throughout your run, you keep in mind that's a lot for your stomach to have to process, you know, while you're choking down water, you're obviously not able to breathe as much oxygen, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just one thing to think about because, like I said, you know, the high school runner in me when I was young and first starting out was just always more water the better. Mm-hmm. If I'm hot while I'm running, yep. that just means I need to drink more water. But there really is a, a bit more of a complicated relationship there. And I would say, too, we talked about how hydration is as much brain fuel as much as it is body fuel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, you know, something like a Slayer X can even really benefit is you know, we talk about how we, we worry about being dehydrated or we worry about thirst. But if you know that you're doing something that, that matters and that's going to hit home for right you, on. that can really provide a psychological crutch and really take away one more thing to worry about. Right on. Right on. Very good. Very good. Um, well, thanks again for joining us, Patrick. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, by Blue Pineapple Travel, and by SlayRx. If you want to reach out to me, you can always find me, George, at itlcoaching.com. If you want to reach out to Patrick, it's Patrick at itlcoaching.com. Or you can send us a podcast email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast, and we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. If you want to find ITO Coaching and Performance, they're at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoaching and performance. If you want to find Blue Pineapple Travel for all your travel needs, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. See all the incredible places where folks are traveling thanks to Blue Pineapple Travel. And, of course, our newest sponsor, SlayRx. You can find them at SlayRx.com, at Facebook.com slash SlayRx, or on Instagram at Instagram.com, here for, the number four, here for SlayRx. Don't forget the discount code as well, Pleasant2019. That'll get you 10% off anything at their website. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. Thanks again for joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.